I'll tell you what. When I have to listen to myself sing like that, it's just not fair that other people I mean, sing like I do. It's not fair that other people get to sing like that. So, so uh, my uh, <laughs> my kids, I, I go, I bust into song, and my kids are like, "No, no, please, please don't, please don't, Dad." <laughs> well, take your Bibles and turn them to Luke twenty-three, verse fifty-two, and we're gonna be looking at the resurrection this morning. I know we've been tracking through on. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we will get back to that next week. My wife asked me, are we going to be taking a break from Sermon on the Mount, and are you going to be preaching a resurrection Easter message? And uh, there's, uh, we're coming up on a part, and I was actually looking, initially looking at going on with the Sermon on the Mount, and looking at, at, at looking at from a uh, Easter perspective on entering through the narrow gate. And so, because you very much, it's not a twist to look at that, because Jesus is the narrow gate. He provided that gate through the cross. And, uh, but uh, sometimes the uh, Holy Spirit speaks to me with a uh, cute little West Texas accent. And uh, through the voice of my wife. And I've had to learn to discern and uh, so I was like, you know what, that, that's, I believe that's exactly what we need to do. So here we are looking at Luke chapter 23, verses 52, and uh, moving forward. And it says, in going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. <clears throat> this is Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut to the rock one in which no one had yet been laid. It was a preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Moving into chapter 24, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices and they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down, with their faces to the ground but the men said to them why do you look for the living among the dead he is not here he is risen remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified and on the third day be raised again and then they remembered his words and when they came back from the tomb they told all this to the eleven and to the others it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who <clears throat> told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Here we have the very first Easter morning, the very first Easter, 
And with this first Easter morning, we have these <clears throat> women that experience. And for one thing, you understanding the, the culture because the today and since the very beginning of the Gospels, the, the Gospel account of the resurrection has been attacked. I mean, what an incredible event. Somebody coming alive again? What an incredible event. You know, and some and that it has constantly been under attack. And one of the crucial things as people today in 2009 look back with a critical eye and analyze whether or not the gospel writers were telling the truth, the fact that it was a woman's testimony plays a huge role. The reason for that is because in this day and time, a woman's testimony was not worth anything. We here in our society, well, we are a woman's word is as good as a man's word. But back then, a woman could not even testify in court. If a woman was going to testify in court, there had to be multiple men verifying her story. So in a sense, these men were actually testifying through her. And so looking back at the people looking with this critical eye, they said, look, if somebody was going to make this up and try to convince people of this time that Jesus rose from the grave, they would not have picked women to be the one to have witnessed it. Nobody was going to believe that. The only reason they wrote women is because that's who it was. And to tell the, the truth, they had to write the truth, whether or not it made it harder to believe or not. And so in 2009, there are people who are critical of it, and they look and said, man, these people, they, they had to genuinely believe this because they give credit to a woman's testimony and they just flat did not do that at that point in time. So the first people that walk upon this are these, these two women. And as this first Easter morning is rolling about, it's marked by the empty. Now I've titled this Empty Promises. And of course that sounds kind of goofy, but there are, there are promises found in these empty things that we come to. First off, there is the empty cross. And the empty cross gives us the promise of forgiveness. Now, you have to remember, this is their Monday. You know, it says on the first day of the week. And, you know, and we understand that it's, you know, we're, Sunday is the first day of the week. And, but for, for Jews, their day of rest was the Sabbath, the last day of the week. So the day they got back going again, their Monday trudge was, was this day, the first day of the week. So here these disciples had had the worst weekend ever. Their king, their Messiah gets crucified. They are in obedience to the Sabbath, not doing anything about it, and, and sulking and wandering. And what, what is going on all day during the Sabbath? And they're having the worst Monday ever. They get up that early that Monday morning and are shuffling down to where Jesus was laid. And as these, as these women are coming down there, one of the first things that they get sight of is the empty cross. <clears throat> John chapter 19 verses 41 through 42 says that the, the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden at the place where he was crucified. There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, 
And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. His tomb was in very close proximity to where <clears throat> Calvary was. They did not have a whole lot of time to get him off the cross and get him buried. In fact, they didn't get to finish the burial process. That's why they're coming back on this horrible Monday morning to finish the process. They've got their spices. They've got the things to finish the, 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 <clears throat> the preparation for his body. And as they are sh shuffling along and as they're coming along, they first, first thing they have to pass is the, the horrible sight that they witnessed. The, the gospel accounts tell us that these women were there at the foot of the cross. They saw him nailed to the cross. They heard his groans. They heard him when he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They, they were there. They, they saw it with their own eyes. And as they're glimpsing over on that Monday morning, they're seeing that, that hill. The, the crosses are still there. They're empty. Or that hill is empty. And they're, they're remember that, that the cross, that empty cross that was, <clears throat> that was there. For us, that empty cross is for the full of the promise of forgiveness. Matthew 27, 40 through 42 and says in saying this, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. These are the, the Pharisees. These are the, the people who should have recognized who Jesus was. They had studied the scriptures. They knew him. They told him, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of, <clears throat> he's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Of course, the whole way that we cross over into salvation is believing in Christ, and they're mocking him, saying, if he'll just come down. Over and over and over, Jesus was being tempted. Jesus, Satan was attacking, trying to get him to not finish the process of the cross. The empty cross is such an incredible promise to us because Jesus went all the way. He didn't take the, the, this final mockings even for him to just step down a moment early just to prove himself. He stayed submitted to what God had called him to and what, it was, what was required of him for our salvation. And when he finally breathed his last and said, it is finished, he had gone all the way. The empty cross lets us know that there isn't anything left to be dealt with. He did it all. He took care of all of it. He went all the way. He didn't bail out back at the wilderness when he was tempted to, to, <clears throat> to lay down all of his power and worship Satan. He didn't do that. They tried to kill him early and throw him off of a cliff. And he just made his way through. There were so many opportunities that, that for Jesus' Jesus's life to be cut short and not make it all the way. And finally here, as he's there, he's being mocked. Just get, just get down. Just get down off that cross. And he didn't do it. He finished 100%. And the promise 
of that empty cross lets us know let us know that we have forgiveness. Jesus did not stop short. He completed the assignment of the cross. Colossians 2 verses 13 through 14 says, When we were dead, when you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to a cross. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The Word of God tells us that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. <clears throat> that, that cross, that death was, was owed by us. That was our penalty. Our sin had brought him to that point. Our, <clears throat> our attacks, our mistakes, our falling short had brought him to that point. He did that in our stead. It was a couple of weeks ago we had had the Bible study there at our house, and uh, my youngest son, <clears throat> Carson, and I were, were goofing around. He was, he was messing with his cousin, and he had this little Nerf sword. And uh, he had this little sword, and he <clears throat> was sitting there and was messing around with his cousin and poking her and just having a lot of fun, just being a little six-year-old boy. And uh, anyway, so I grabbed the sword and, and take it, and so and I go up to him, and I'm just... I'm just popping him. I'm just whacking him with it. And it's making some good smacks on him. I'm giving him some pretty good, some pretty good whacks. And uh, so I, I then take the sword and I take it out of my hand and I put it in his. And it's now I have attacked him. And now it's his turn to bring some retribution. It's now his turn to, to, for some vengeance. And so, you know, and I know what I've done. I know that I've, I know what I deserve. I know that I've whacked him and it's time for me to take mine. So boy, I, you know, I go ahead and tense up. I mean, it's a sad, it's a little six-year-old kid with a Nerf sword. <laughs> but I just, I go ahead and I tense up and I'm ready. And so, and I just go ahead and I just mock him a little bit. And I said, all right, all right, bring it. And so he looks at me and he goes, and he has his sword up. And he goes, this is what I'm bringing. And he comes up and hugs my leg. And he just, he just hugs my leg. And I tell you what, it just, it just so melted me. Because there he was, vengeance was, was, was prepared. It was ready. I was embraced and I was ready to take it. I knew I deserved it. Man, I tell you what, humanity is what deserved the cross. So many people are afraid to approach God because they know, we know what we deserve. We know we're flinched, we're ready, timid to go to God. And you know what? When humanity finally cries out and says, bring it. Jesus said, this is what I'm bringing. This is what I'm bringing. And when vengeance was due us, love was given when vengeance was what was owed love was poured out 
that empty cross, that was what he was bringing. That was what he brought. And it reminds us he went all the way so that we could have forgiveness. Our sins and our shortcomings do not stand in the way between us and God. There was no separation anymore. All we have to do is take the free gift of a relationship with God. That's it. There isn't anything standing in the way anymore. The sin issue has been dealt with. It is done, Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. As painful and as gruesome and as hard as it was, there was joy in it. Just like that little wry smile on my son's face when he said, this is what I'm bringing. There was joy in his heart and it was you and I and everybody else who was going to get to come to the Father because of that sacrifice. There was joy in the cross for Jesus. There was joy in it. It was you and me. That empty cross, those women, they didn't see it. They didn't understand it as they go past it. They're on the way to that grave. They're on the way to that empty tomb. They don't know it's empty. They passed that. I'm sure they couldn't even bring themselves to look at it. But it was our sign that we have forgiveness. As they come to that tomb, the empty tomb tells us, reminds us, gives us the promise of the resurrection and the power over death. You know, so many times throughout generations, people have just feared death and it has just made everybody quake in just the thought of what is taking place on the other side of death. That empty tomb is our promise that this life is not the end. It gives us the promise of the resurrection and that we have power over death. All of a sudden it shifts our life and everything. We don't have to be afraid of what this life may bring. It can be the adventure it was supposed to be. <clears throat> on uh, Thursday of this week, we're going to be taking uh, family. We're going to be headed to Enchanted Rock. We're going to go do a little camping. And that's one of our favorite places. I've been going to Enchanted Rock for years. I love going to Enchanted Rock. And uh, I went the first time or two before I took any of my family. And uh, each one of my kids, as we brought them to, there's this little, there's this little cave thing that you go through it has an entrance on one end and you weasel your way through it. it takes you about 15 minutes and you get through and pop out on the other side and every with every kid from Keenan all the way through cars when we get to that little bitty hole that you kind of got to weasel yourself down through that all of them as I'm getting in there boy they're all apprehensive because it's just dark it's scary it's what are we doing dad I'm not going in there and uh, with each one of them, as I have just reminded them of the fact, if I've just reminded them of the fact that 
Daddy's already been in this hole, and I've come out fine on the other side. Here, I've been through it. There's no problems. All of a sudden, all their fear goes away. It's gone, and they're ready to head right in. They don't care. All of a sudden, now it's an adventure. Jesus has already dealt with this. He's already dealt with the, with the grave. He's already come out on the other side. The grave is not this horrible dead end for us. It's not at all. There was a story that uh, Pastor John used to tell about this uh, old southern preacher that whenever he was a boy, he would go <clears throat> and have to go fox hunting with his grandfather and of course they lived on a farm and a fox is just one of the worst animals from what I hear I've never been on a farm but once they get a taste for chicken and once they get a taste for chicken eggs there just ain't nothing you can't build a coop good enough you're not keeping them out they're going to steal you blind as far as the chickens go and the only way to do is hunt those foxes down and kill them well they would go out and they would hunt these foxes and they would do it with the dogs. And so finally, he was, this preacher asked his grandfather one day, as they're come, coming upon, and they'd done this, gone through this process multiple times. And he says, Grandpa, sometimes, what's the deal with these foxes? They're so smart. We have to hunt them down because they're so smart. But sometimes they do the most stupid things. We'll be hunting these, hunting these foxes, and the dogs will be on them. And sometimes they'll run right up to a hole and whoop they'll just zip right into that hole and they'll get away from the dogs there's no problems and he said and then other times this fox runs and the dogs are right on till and it runs right up into that hole and it just looks and then it just stops and the dogs pounce on it and it doesn't go into the hole and the dogs just tear it up and kill it he says what is why does sometimes the fox runs in and sometimes the fox doesn't run in what is the deal the grandpa told him, said, well, that fox is looking for something. That fox is looking for tracks. And if that fox sees tracks going in and tracks coming out, he knows that whatever went into that hole came out, and it's safe. There's nothing scary waiting for him. And so he can go into that hole. It's vacant. It can be, it's, he can go in there and hide from the dogs. But otherwise, if all he sees is tracks going in and he don't see any tracks coming out, he don't know what's waiting on him in that hole. There may be something uglier, meaner than that pack of dogs behind him, and so he don't run into that hole, and the dogs end up getting him. And he says, well, what, <clears throat> what saves that fox is whenever he sees tracks going in and tracks coming out. That empty grave it shows that Jesus' tracks went in and they did not stay there. Everybody else, the grave has been a dead end. Muhammad, you find his bones. All the rest of them, you can find their bones. But Jesus, he's the only one that his tracks went in and his tracks came out. For the rest of us, we don't have to worry. Grave is not this scary, ugly thing waiting for us. There is a promise of a resurrection. There is the promise of a resurrection. Romans 6, 5 says, we have been If we have been united with him <clears throat> like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. 
Acts 2, 31 through 32 says, Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. The resurrection is the central truth of our relationship with God. So many people want to just peel that part out of it and say, can't I just... Jesus had a lot of wonderful teachings. Can't we, I just take his teachings and try to live a life like Jesus? Why do we have to embrace this fairy tale idea of this resurrection? People just took it too far. They, all, he was a man who just taught good things and they, they, just, they just took it too far. Why do I have to deal with this resurrection? Why can't we just say, let's just live the way Jesus taught to live? He had a lot of good teachings. The deal is, is that Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. It hinges on that, on Christ beating the grave. The reason for that is because hell could not hold him. If he did not pay the price and come out and, ha and, and uh, have a death that's been paid that isn't hung on some, around somebody's neck, there's not an open ticket for us to charge our sin to. Jesus' death had to be done. It had to be done. The wages of sin is death. It had to be done. And Jesus did a death. But whenever, whenever he went, because you know, a lot of people think Jesus just just lying in there taking a little few days rest before the resurrection. No, Jesus went to hell, went to and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says he led captivity captive, those that had died believing in the Messiah to come. He led captivity captive. He took them out, those that were believing in him, clutching those promissory notes that Messiah was going to come and redeem them. He led captivity captive. And as he's there, he, is, he does not have to stay. His death, he had no sin for his death to, to have to pay. So here's a death that's done with no sin connected to it. And so as we, as he comes out and he's, he's resurrected, hell could not hold him. Then now this death was really done. So now what we're doing in believing him, our sin gets credited to his death. His death covers it. That's why it's, there's no range in, well, if there's this, the littlest sin and the greatest sin. If there was this range of sin... If, sin, if all sin did not require the penalty of death, one death couldn't cover all sin. It couldn't. You could finally, the world could build up enough where one, if it was ranged, like, God isn't fair. That's just wrong. I can understand why rapists and murderers and all this stuff, that their sin would require death. But what about Mother Teresa? Her sin required death? Yes. And it was fair. Because it allowed the death of Jesus, the sinless death of Jesus, that all the sin of all humanity 
could be applied to that one death. And it's legal and it's good. Christ, the, the risen Christ, is central to our justification. It is central to our relationship with God. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 5, 19 says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied. We're just, that's, if, if, if we're going through all this process of following Christ and he's not risen, and it's just all for this, how silly. If, if Christ did not rise, then just live this life to the fullest. Just go and have as much fun as you possibly can and don't care about anything else. Because the grave's the end. But because Christ is risen, it's not. And we have the best, we have the only hope. We have the only hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, it says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. <clears throat> there was a story about this uh, little boy and his dad who were going on a little uh, little trip. And they're driving down the road. And the little boy is uh, deathly allergic, goes into anaphylactic shock if he gets bee sting. It's just deathly. And so anytime he sees bees, he just freaks out. Well, they're driving, driving down the road in this, <clears throat> in this car, and this bee is, got into the car. And this little boy is just totally losing it. He is just totally freaking out because that bee, he's, it's not just a, a painful deal. It's, his life is on the line. And so the dad just sits there and instinctively just reaches out and bah, grabs that bee. And of course the bee stings him. And then the dad grabs the bee and Let's it go. That bee's flying around. Well, the kid starts ah, screaming again, screaming again. And he tells him, son, settle down, settle down. And showed him his palm. And there in his palm was that stinger. He said, son, you don't have to be afraid of that bee. It doesn't have a sting. It doesn't have any poison. I've taken it. You don't, you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be worried about that. We don't have to be afraid of the sting of sin. We don't have to be afraid of that. The, the sting of death is sin. So much, so many of us are afraid to even try to live for God because we're afraid of failing Him. He's whooped sin. Go for it. What God says lays on your heart, go for it. Who cares if you mess up? The, the sting's gone. He just picks us up, dusts us off and says, Whoa, try again. We don't have to worry about it. I got to teach my <clears throat> niece and nephew how to ride a bike last weekend. You know what? And they said they'd, they'd sit there and they'd mess up, and I'd grab the back of them. They didn't crash. I'd grab the back. They'd, whoop, they'd do it wrong, and I'd grab them. God's done that for us. We get to go for it. What God has laid in our heart, we don't have to be tempted. Well, what if I mess up? What if I blow it? 
So what? The sting's gone. Go for it. Go for it. Live for God. Do what he's called you to do. We don't have to be worried about that. What if I miss God? What if you miss God? You were earnest. You were trying. You'll shake it off and go forward. The sting is gone. The last one we have is the empty grave clothes. They get to that tomb. Peter peeks inside. And there are his empty grave clothes. Well, first off, they play a huge role. The empty grave clothes gives us the promise of a mediator. Well, for one thing, the, the, on the, the empty grave clothes deal with a, a big issue because everybody said that his body was stolen. He is not resurrected. His body was stolen. They stole it. Okay, now, when they prepare somebody's body, for a, it, it lays it out there in, in John chapter 19, that they're preparing his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come and get it. They have 75 pounds John tells us of myrrh and aloes and they wrap Jesus in these they had the Jews had lived so long with the Egyptians that their burial process was very similar to Egyptian mummification and so they had wrapped Jesus in these they don't they didn't just have this little sheet that they put over him. he was wrapped like a mummy and they had put these aloes and these, these, this myrrh, and they put up 75 pounds of it. It's about 10 gallons of this liquid that they're wrapping him in with these strips of linen, and they wrap his body up. And then they place the, the cloth over his face. And that, was their, that was their process, and they barely get this done in time for the, to, to seal the tomb and get it dealt with. Well, when they, the, the, the cry of the fact that his body was stolen, for one thing, if somebody's, they, Pilate had put all of these guards under <clears throat> Roman guards there at the tomb. Now, these guys, if they fail at their post, their, their head is on the line. It's over. Somebody, and these, all the Jews knew it. So if the disciples are going to sneak in there and take the body with the guards there they're going to do it as fast as they possibly can they're not going to sit there and try to deal with 75 pounds of dripping strips of cloth and try to get them all off of him and then get his body out they're just going to get him out they don't care about that it makes no sense and then if the people if the Jews are going to try to take the body so that the, the believers can't claim that he rose they're not going to do it either they're not going to take the time to strip him for one thing the Jews did not want to touch a naked body it's against their law they don't want to do that so just the fact that as again just little details like that that God did that place these support truths that counteract arguments against the resurrection well, one of the things that we see there in in uh, in First Timothy two five is that for for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I love it that Paul says the man. 
Christ Jesus. With Jesus, that the fact that his body left and his, those grave clothes stayed. Now, we don't know what state they were in. Some people, some people think that, of course, the aloes mainly have water and that it has all of the starches and all of that stuff in it. Israel is a very arid climate. It's not real humid. So being that long in that grave be like being in, <clears throat> being in a, uh, an oven and just dry everything out. There are people who think that what they walk in, because they saw the grave clothes and believed. This isn't biblical fact. Who knows if this was the case or not. But there are people who think that, that those were still wrapped and that it had hardened. And here's this Jesus-shaped cocoon with no Jesus in it. It's, it's there. All the, the linens are still wrapped. And they're laying there, you know. Other people think, well, maybe it just, it had just, just sunk. Still was wet, still had the, the aloes and the myrrh, and it was empty. However way you want to look at it, other people think it was just unspooled. However way you want to look at it, they were there, and they were empty. The man was gone. It's not, Jesus doesn't just live in a spiritual sense. Jesus lives in a physical, tangible sense. That's why he was there. <clears throat> we look in Acts chapter 1 that he was there for 40 days showing himself. He ate fish and meat. I mean, ate fish and bread with his disciples. Had breakfast with them. He barbecued in his resurrected deal. He cooked fish for them in his resurrected form. No wonder I like barbecuing so much. Resurrected Jesus barbecued. Man's thing. That's how you really cook. And uh, but it was a physical man. They touched his body, but yet he walked right through a wall. He's still a physical man, but is a glorified body. They they touched his side. They touched his hands. They physically handled the resurrected man of Jesus. It is a man that is. Our mediator. A mediator has three roles. A mediator brings reconciliation. A mediator brings peace. And a mediator brings gifts on behalf of someone else. We have a, the man, Christ Jesus, who is God and man in his resurrected form who is our mediator, who is bringing reconciliation. There in the throne room of God is not just some, some spirits or something we can't wrap our minds around. I don't know what God looks like. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to look like. I don't know those things. But there when I have to think about the throne room of God, that there is a man. I don't know what color of eyes he has or how long his hair is or any of that, but I know a man. And there is a man standing there in the presence of God representing me and representing you who, was <clears throat> who understands that I'm but dust. Oh, that brings me such peace. Hebrews 8, 6 says, but the ministry of Jesus has is received as superior, is as superior 
to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator. He's a mediator of this covenant and which is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. Jesus is bringing us better promises than even the promises of the Old Testament. And the promises of the Old Testament were good. They weren't, they weren't sorry promises. It wasn't look like, oh man, we need to get rid of those and get us a whole new crop. Nobody was saying that. But Jesus, God brought us better promises in Christ. Hebrews 9.15 says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Ah, those empty grave clothes let us know that a flesh and blood man who understands us is our mediator. Whenever I was 15 years old, I had nothing on my mind but a car. I wanted a car. And of course, my dad had always told me that uh, you need to, if you want a car, you better save your money up. That's the only way you're getting a car. It's like wonderful. And uh, so I had no money saved up summer before my turn 16 and I had no money saved up and and uh anyways we're traveling through uh Arkansas and are there in Arkansas and as we're going through just seeing all the sites there on this used car lot just normal used car lot sits two convertible Mustangs this gorgeous teal green one and this red one and I'm just oh, I'm just I am just excited about these Mustangs so we pull over and we look at them and uh, anyways, at, at that point, all of a sudden, things began to shift in my life. Things began to happen that were glorious and wonderful. Why? Because I wanted a car, and the person who I wanted to pay for the car, their first car was a 66 Mustang. And so all of a sudden, unbeknownst to me, I wasn't trying to be manipulative. I, didn't, I just genuinely liked Mustangs. And my dad all of a sudden got on my side. I had a mediator. I had somebody who understood the need for a Mustang. That this wasn't a want. This is a need. This is something you got to take care of or it can just do harmful things to the psyche of a young man. And, and whether my mom understood it or not, my dad understood it. And I had a mediator, and at that point, we were on the same wavelength. And there, my, we began to look at Mustangs, and, and our vacation shifted. All of a sudden, we started busting open the thrifty nickels in Arkansas, figuring out a way to buy some car and, and haul it back with us. And man, I'm telling you, it was an exciting vacation for me. When I went from thinking I'm going to have to, you know, buy some $500 Pinto and figure out how to work on it myself, and I am not that kind of mechanically inclined, that I started looking at Mustangs and ended up with a gorgeous car. I ended up with a fully restored 67 Mustang that I did not deserve. But the reason I got it is because I had a mediator who was on my side. Jesus is so for us. 
it is so comforting to know that, that he is with us. Hebrews 4, 5 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He was a man. He understands. He didn't give in to those weaknesses, but he understands them. <clears throat> but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He doesn't gloat over us. You know, he doesn't say, well, when I was a man, I didn't do it. You know, he doesn't pull that one out on us. He understands that we're but dust. He understands we have a mediator who understands our weaknesses and, and, and died for us and understands that as we're going for this, that we, we do have to ask the question, where are we now? And which way forward? And sometimes it's not always a pretty straight line. Sometimes we go forward this way for a little bit, and then we go forward this way for a little bit, and he doesn't get frustrated with us because he understands. He understands where we're at, and he's just so excited that we're able to have relationship again. He's just so excited. It is so, so good for us to know that there there in in the trinity with the father son and the holy spirit that god looks at a man his son jesus and with that he accounts his his righteousness to me and jesus whenever he looks at me he tells the father that boy's with me he's with me he's one of mine tell you what that just gives us courage to to go forward in life to go forward because we have a mediator those empty grave clothes let us know that the human being did not stay there he's a man still today alive and interceding on our behalf there were empty promises that first easter we have the promises of the empty cross and of the empty grave and of those empty strips of linen. And one of them folded nice and neat. He wasn't sitting there going, ah, let me out of here, let me out of here. He took the time and folded it and set it down. Those Roman guards, they come in here, there's no sign of hurry. Those Jews, they come in there and the, the people that crucified him and didn't believe who he was. There was no sign of hurry. He folded that top one. Finished his work. Knew the strength and the power of what he had done. This morning, I wanted to... Uh, I want to put to you. First and foremost, uh, this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God.